Will you want to take a ride? I'm calling to you all, connected through the intense consciousness that is the World Wide Web. I am one man sitting behind a microphone in an undisclosed location in Utah. I bring you tales from beyond the brink of normalcy. Anything that is normal, anything that is deemed square, I do not reside. I am an entity of the nighttime. I am a creature of the night. I am your host Tuesday, coming to you from the great Southwest. I am in the Southwest state of Utah. Some may argue just the West. And I bring you an amazing episode of Conversations at Midnight. If anyone has any way, any stories, anything that you can reach out to me, and heck, maybe you might end up being a guest on my show, come contact me at storiesatmidnight at yahoo.com. I'm going to say that one more time. Storiesatmidnight at yahoo.com. If you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to thank you all for just... If you could, would you give anything to achieve your biggest dream, your desire, the very thing that craves for, the essence that forms you? Now, when I say anything, I do mean anything. It's the late 1920s. The sun is setting in Delta, Mississippi. There's a juke on the corner of town. You can hear the laughter and the music. Liquor bottles clink together. Anyone that is anyone, they all came there to enjoy themselves and listen to good music. Sitting in the middle of this juke is a young man by the name of Robert Johnson. He stares at a guitar leaning on the wall. He feels a connection to it. He knows he can do much better than the life that he's living right now. He reaches for it and strums a few strings, plucking them. Suddenly, the guitar is stripped from his hands. The gentleman who took it from him looks down on him and says, Get out of here! We don't want you breaking a string. Go bother someone else. Robert is embarrassed. He feels like a fool. 
That man took the guitar out of his hands before he even had a try. Robert stands up and embarrassingly starts walking to the door. Everyone is laughing at him. Before he walks out, he looks over his shoulder and shouts to everyone, I'll show you. You'll see. Robert walks away into that dark delta night, never to be heard again for a while. Robert Johnson was born on May 8, 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. His father was a man named Noah Johnson, and his mother was a woman named Julia Dodds. She was married to a man by the name of Charles Dodds, hence her last name. He was a very successful black man for that time. He was really popular for his uh, furniture making. And at the time, if you can believe it, he was a landowner. Before Robert was born, though, Charles Dodds was exiled from Hazelhurst. You see, he had an argument with some wealthy white landowners, which would in turn cause a lynch mob to send him out of Hazelhurst. It's unfortunate, but that's how the times were. But during his absence, his wife, Julia, would have an affair with Noah Johnson. Well, eventually, things did not work out well with Noah, and they kind of went their own way. She would later meet up with a man who was a sharecropper. He worked out in the fields. Now, back then, being black in Mississippi, let alone America, there wasn't much to choose from when it comes to work. Either you were in the fields or you were doing something else, but you didn't have a lot of options. Robert's stepfather tried to raise Robert as best he can, and unfortunately, Robert didn't want to work in the field, so it caused him to get a lot of whoopings. A lot of old school way of disciplinary action. And that would mean he would hit him harshly. Now He didn't want to work in the fields, but Robert saw how the other black folk would go around and play music on the weekends. So Robert thought, well, hey, you know, I could do this. So Robert picked up a guitar and started playing. He started playing around the fields and for the other people who worked out on the plantation. Eventually, they thought, hey, this isn't that bad. You know, for a kid, it's really not that bad. Sometime after this, Robert's mom, Julia, would send him over to Tennessee to be with Charles Dodds, who at the time, after moving and escaping, he changed his name to Charles Spencer. Now, Charles would eventually accept Robert but he would never forgive his wife for giving birth to him. It was while in his teen years that Robert Johnson learned who his real father was. And it was at that time that he began to call himself Robert Johnson. In the mid-1920s, Robert began to learn from his brother how to play the guitar. He spent many moons there in Tennessee, in the Memphis area to be exact. Eventually, Robert got word, many years later, from his mom Julia, that she remarried again. 
So, Robert packed up his belongings and went to the Delta to live with his mom. There he would meet his new stepfather, a man named Dusty Willis. They didn't get along at all, because his stepfather hated music. And as we know, Robert Johnson loved music. But Dusty wanted no music in his house. So Robert started to, began sneaking out. He went out to jukes and jives and places to play to get his musical fix. However, the strict rules against his passion would push him to leaving in the middle of the night and never coming back. The local legend says that when Robert was 18 years old, he fell in love with a 15-year-old girl. These are different times, folks. These are different times, okay? Her name was Virginia Travis. They lied about their ages, and they got married. Virginia grew up in a very religious Christian family. Heck, everyone in that area was a very devout Christian. Robert, he wanted to be a better husband. So, it was then that he decided that he was going to put his guitar down and work an honest job for him and his new bride, Virginia. He worked in the field on a plantation, sweated, and he busted his hands for the woman that he loved. They lived a very peaceful and honest life until Virginia was eight and a half months pregnant. Virginia took off to be with her grandmother and other members of her family so they can assist her when it was time to give birth to the baby. It was when Virginia was away that Robert picked up his guitar again to entertain himself. As he was traveling up the Mississippi River, he decided to stop by other jives and jukes, and he was going to his other haunts, his other hangouts, like how he did in the old days, you know? After traveling up Highway 1, he arrived in time to be with his beautiful wife and newborn baby. Robert opens the door to the house of his wife's family. The whole family looks over at him to see him standing at the doorway with a guitar in his hand. Silence fills the air. Where's Virginia? Robert asks. Where were you? Virginia's grandmother says, countering his question with hers. I was on my way here, Robert says wholeheartedly. Virginia's grandmother takes a step back. Really? Oh, really? Okay, well, while you were out there playing the devil's music with that guitar, Virginia took her last breath asking where you were. Pain fills Robert's heart. He struck silent and still. Tears fill his eyes, and everything got blurry. His legs are heavier than they've ever been.
He sits on the wooden floor. Unfortunately, it would turn out that Virginia died giving birth, and it claimed both Virginia and the life of the newborn baby. By the time that Robert arrived, she had already been dead and even buried. Virginia's grandmother stands over Robert, and she looks down on him. And with sorrow, she says, if it weren't for you getting involved with the devil and his music, she'd still be alive. And just like that, Virginia Travis is gone. Shortly after the passing of Virginia Travis, Robert moves back with his mother and his stepfather. But it wouldn't last long for the same reasons why he left the first time. He hits the road again, but this time he devotes himself to his music. In July of 1930, a musician by the name of Sun House moves to Robinsonville. Robert Johnson sees Sun House playing one day, and according to Sun House himself... Robert Johnson says, pointing to Sunhouse, he says, quote, I want to be like that man right there, close quote. Robert followed Sunhouse around and sometimes even tried to play Sunhouse's guitar. One day, Sun gets annoyed when he sees Robert playing on his guitar. In fear of him breaking a string, he snatched the guitar from Robert's hands and told him to get out of here. And that's when no one saw Robert Johnson for a whole year. No words. No rumors. Nothing. For a whole year. It's like he dropped off the face of the earth. Not even a sound. Then out of the blue, one day in 1931, the sun was setting in Banks, Mississippi, like it always did. There's a jive right out there on the corner of town, packed to the gills with people having a good time. Sun House and Willie Brown just finished playing and they're taking a break. Suddenly the door opens at the jive. Most of the people noticed, but not, not everyone. But standing in the doorway was a silhouette of a man holding a guitar. Sunhouse looks at his friend, Willie Brown, and says, eh, isn't, that, isn't that Robert Johnson? Willie responds, oh yeah, that's him, but what's he doing with that guitar? The guitar has an extra string on it. See, what was supposed to be a six-string is now a seven-string. Sunhouse looks over at Robert, who is now standing in front of him. And he looks at Robert and he says, what are you going to do with that thing there? Are you going to annoy somebody else again? Robert tilts his head down just a little bit, just enough for the brim of his hat to cover his eyes. 
Robert smirks and says, No, but just give me a try. Sunhouse sighs. Okay. And Robert goes to the stool on the stage. The jive grows quiet. He sits down and prepares the guitar. He tunes the string. And then another. And another. Still having that confident smirk on his face, he inhales and starts playing. The whole jive starts dancing and Robert blows the roof off that place. There ain't no way that that was the same Robert Johnson as one year before. He was doing things on that guitar that no one at that time even thought about doing. It was amazing. He was a he was a master at this skill. He was so masterful that not even his own idols could do the things that he was doing. Everyone was shocked. He was an amateur, and one year later, he's a master at his craft. And, and, wait a minute. How's that possible? It's only been a year. He went from being a nobody who can barely hold a tune to playing a seven-string guitar in a fashion that made even the ones who devoted their life mediocre. And all of this happened in one year? How could he have gotten that good that fast? You don't, you don't think... You don't think he did something, do you? Between you and me, the rumor around town is that he did. And some even say what he did was unthinkable. You see, the story goes that Robert Johnson went down to the crossroads one night outside of town. They say that at a certain hour of the night, he went down to those crossroads where nothing good ever happens. And he got down on his knees. And he spoke into the night, asking for something or anyone to come forth. And something did hear him. The horrid stench of sulfur and brimstone fills the air. The sounds of frogs and crickets grow silent. Not a single sound is heard. The wind stops. Robert looks up and sees a man standing over him. A big black man dressed in very nice clothing. The man looks down at Robert and in a very calm, soothing, melodic voice, he says, What do you want, boy? Robert, shocked, he doesn't really know what to say, but clears his throat and he says, I want to be the best at guitar. I'm tired of being a joke to everyone. I want to be better than all of them. 
And some people said that if I come to you, that you could help me. The man grins. His beautiful smile shows all of his perfect white teeth. He looks at Robert's guitar and says, Let me see that guitar. Robert hands the guitar to the strange man. The man takes the guitar in and examines it. He looks back at Robert and says, So you want to be the best? Robert nods his head. The tuning pegs on the guitar turn on their own, tuning the guitar. Light smoke rises from the shoulders of the strange man. And that putrid smell of sulfur and brimstone get more stronger and more unbearable. He looks back at Robert and stares right into his eyes. Once you take this guitar from me, you will have what you want. And you will be considered the best who ever lived. But in return, your soul is mine. A strong evil grin grows on the man's face. Do you want it? Robert stares at the guitar and he grabs it from the strange man. He stands up, looking down at the guitar in his hands, turns around and starts walking away. After a few steps, maybe about five or six, Robert stops and looks over his shoulder to the strange man. And that man is nowhere to be seen. Instead, there are embers where he once stood. Now, there are many examples in Robert Johnson's lyrics that point to the idea of him making a transaction with the devil himself. If you do believe in this, if you do believe that he did what he did, then this is probably your evidence that may point to it. In his song, The Crossroad Blues, he says, I went to the crossroads and I got on my knees. I went to the crossroads and got on my knees. And I asked the Lord above, Have mercy now. Save poor Bob, if you please. There are many stories, the Bible and other folklore, that point when praying to an entity that it's a common occurrence that an evil one will appear first, trying to get the trying to strike before the good entity appears. He also talks about hellhounds. He says in another song, Hellhounds on My Trail, 
The lyrics go as follows. I gotta keep moving. I have to keep moving on. Blues falling down like hail. And the blues are falling down like hail. And these days keep on worrying me. There's a hellhound on my trail. Hellhound on my trail. Oh, there's a hellhound on my trail. For those of you who are more skeptic, there is something to take into consideration that is in your favor. You see, back then during those times, Robert Johnson was only one generation down from slavery. And back then, a hellhound was a term used by African Americans for a bloodhound or a tracking dog. It is very possible. That lyric is possibly a relation to his stepfather, Charles Dodds, because he himself was chased out of town and more likely than not had hellhounds on his trail. Or, from experience that he'd probably seen around his community. Another piece of evidence that helps point to the idea of hellhounds being a tracking dog or a bloodhound chasing him is that in one of his lyrics, he talks about hot foot powder. Now, I did some research. I looked around, I did some research, and of course, you know, I came to Wikipedia as another thing, but I stuck to the article on uh, the Wikipedia for it, for hot foot powder, because it explained it much easier. The article says, and I quote, hot foot powder is used in African-American hoodoo folk magic to drive unwanted people away. It is a mixture of herbs and minerals, virtually always including chili powder, salt, pepper, and chili flakes. Other ingredients, such as wasps' nests, sulfur, and graveyard dirt, are sometimes added. It also shows some overlapping uses with gopher dust, which is also known to create restlessness and will drive people away. Hoodoo is a, uh, it was a practice back then for African Americans. It was a form of African American folk magic, and that's what they used. It was really common back then for them to use things involving hoodoo. Moving on, it's very possible that Robert Johnson used a lot of terminology from hoodoo and other terms used by African Americans during those times. Now, an example being in his song, Come On In My Kitchen, he talks about, well, I'll just read you the lyric, how about that? The lyric says, and I quote, Oh, she's gone. And I know she won't come back. I've taken the last nickel out of her nation sack. So I jumped online, did some research, and I, I feel like I found the, the perfect site for it. It's a website called memphishoodoo.medium.com. A minister by the name of Harry M. Hyatt went to the Deep South and noticed many women carrying these nation sacks on their waist. So, 
he spoke to one of the women there. And this is what he found out according to the website. It says, quote, Hyatt's informant shared that the sack was worn by females typically around their waist. The sack contained money and objects considered to be lucky. One practitioner shared with Hyatt that some nation sack owners would place parts of a chicken egg inside the bag, while others spoke of adding objects such as roots, snuff boxes, and silver dimes. One informant shared that some women utilize materials such as a dollar bill covered in their mate's urine. I don't know how I feel about that inside of their nation sack. Some were used in conjunction with a string that could be tied to tie up a man's nature or sexual prowess. The magical principle that appeared frequently was that the ingredients in the nation sack could keep a man faithful and a woman protected. Hyatt's informant, the one he nicknames the nation sack woman, advises the minister that the bag is off limits to men and should never be touched by a man. She advises that the bag may also contain a toby, a name commonly used in hoodoo culture to describe a mojo bag or a material object infused with spiritual power. Now, is it possible that Robert did some sort of paranormal action that caused him to become so skillful in mesmerizing? Or is it possible that Robert Johnson didn't do anything like that? Maybe his story of obtaining such skill is more simple, and I suppose to some, anticlimactic and to others simply amazing and that's that he practiced you see during his absence it is said that robert johnson went to hazelhurst mississippi in search of noah johnson his biological father that we spoke about earlier and in his search he bumped into somebody else a mr ike zimmerman Ike Zimmerman was known in his neck of the woods as being very, very skilled at playing guitar. And after some conversation, Ike agreed to teach Robert everything he knew about guitar. It is said that in that entire year that Robert was gone, he and Ike would go down to the cemetery just outside of Hazelhurst and they would play the guitar. Late in the night, Robert would play for an audience of trees, ghosts, and of course, Ike himself. Legend has it that Ike Zimmerman once said, and I quote, The only way to learn genuine from the heart blues is to sit on the gravestone and play the guitar so that the haints would come and show you how to play properly. Close quote. Haints is a southern word for spirits or ghosts, in case anyone's wondering. 
After Robert learned everything that he had to learn, he thanked Ike, took off, and went back, and that's where he blew the roof off that joint. Sometime after, in 1931, Robert met a girl named Virgie Kane. She was a schoolgirl, and she came from a very religious family. Does that sound familiar to you? Life has a weird way of repeating itself, huh? Virgie gets pregnant, and there were many attempts by Robert to convince her to run away with him, but Virgie's parents weren't having it. He, he played the blues, and to that, that was nothing but the devil's music. So sadly, they, you know, kept her away from Robert. Eventually, Virgie would give birth to a boy by the name of Claude. She named him Claude Johnson. Robert tried a couple times to see Claude. The final time Claude ever saw Robert, he was walking up the path to the house. Claude said that Robert Johnson tried to give money for Claude to Virgie's father, but the father wasn't having it. Virgie's father told Robert to get out of here and don't come back. In an article on the ChicagoTribune.com, they actually had an interview with Claude, and they quoted him saying, quote, We were living in my granddaddy and grandmama's house, Claude Johnson said. They were religious people, and they thought that the blues was the devil's music. They wouldn't even let me go out and touch him. Finally, Robert Johnson wandered off and his son never saw him again. But he wants to believe that his father came for him that day. Close quote. The sad part is, and the reason why it would be Claude's last time ever seeing Robert alive, is that not many people can live a lifestyle like Robert's and come out a-okay. Robert Johnson indulged in his vices. He was a man of vices. A fellow musician named Honeyboy, when speaking on Robert Johnson, actually said, quote, Robert was crazy about two things in life, whiskey and women's, close quote. Unfortunately, he indulged himself in such a way it eventually got to him. They said one night in 1938 in Greenwood, Mississippi, at the Three Forks Juke. Is that a coincidence? Three Forks? A trident? Robert was approached by a man, a hu the husband of a woman, that Robert had a sexual liaison with earlier that day. An argument was said to have happened and Robert was exceptionally mouthy and foul. Anger ensued and the married man walked away. Sometime after the profanities and insults, a bottle of whiskey with a broken seal is then handed to Robert Johnson. Robert takes the cork off the whiskey and attempts to drink it. The bottle is then slapped from Robert's hand. No one knows for sure 
who slapped the bottle, but the person who did it told Robert, don't drink a bottle of whiskey with the seal broken. Robert looks at that person and responds, saying, quote, and don't you slap a bottle of $7 whiskey out of my hands. It doesn't seem much now, but back then, $7 was a lot. Back then, $7 was an insane amount, especially for Mississippi. I have family in Mississippi, as you all know. My grandfather used to tell my mother, I used to have $2 in my pocket, and I can take your mom out to a meal, a movie, pay for gas for my car, come back and still have change left over. So $7, that's a lot of money. Going back to the story. Eventually, another bottle is handed to Robert, and this too had a broken seal. This time, Robert secures the bottle in his hand. He doesn't, you know, let anyone knock it out. And he puts the rim to his lips. And he drinks it. Honey Boy, the musician that, that we talked about earlier, he was, all, he was there that night when Robert drank that bottle. And Honey Boy said that not long after that fateful drink... Later that night, Robert was slumped in his chair. People tried to get him to drink more or offer help, but it was clear that he wasn't doing well. He couldn't pick up his guitar to play. He could barely walk. He, he was declining. He was taken back to a room that he was staying in. They say that he screamed and howled and tossed and turned something fierce. Robert suffered excruciating pain. And it took him three days to die. The man who gave the poison bottle to Robert was never arrested. A musicologist, Robert Mac McCormick, has gone on and claimed that he was able to track down the man who murdered Johnson and he says that he even obtained a confession to killing him from him in a personal interview. But he declined to reveal the man's name. And even during that time, the black community didn't push for the man's arrest either because of the stigma that the blues was the devil's music. Who would support somebody who worked and walked with the devil. The exact whereabouts of Robert's body is not known. At least not anymore. There are three headstones currently, to this date, right now as I'm speaking to you, there are three headstones that are marked with Robert Johnson's name. No matter where his body rests, his name still holds true. He is the stuff of legends. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised that if there's a place somewhere in Greenwood, Mississippi, that at a certain hour of the night when the town goes to bed, you can hear the playing of a guitar strumming in the distance 
Or maybe, perhaps the devil did come and claim him to hell. Maybe he came for his collection. And him meeting his fate in such a powerful and painful way wasn't a coincidence after all. They say that anyone who makes a deal with the devil finds them to be a member of the infamous and exclusive 27 Club. A club in which its members all have met their fate some way or another at the age of 27. Robert Johnson was the fourth to achieve membership status on that list. There's 63 of them. It is said that no one has graced the guitar in a fashion that Robert did. They may hit the notes like him, but they will never be him. The truth is, selling his soul, hoodoo, or simply practicing whatever he did, he certainly left his mark. Now, some of you might go, Tuesday, what do you think? What do you believe? Do you think he sold his soul? Hmm. I'm not sure. Giving an answer in complete certainty feels wrong to me. Maybe he did. Maybe not. Currently, the date, at the time of this upload, the date is August 16th. Robert Johnson passed away on August 16th. I guess in, uh, in Conversations at Midnight Fashion, a fitting song of the week would be um, Me and the Devil Blues by Robert Johnson. I'll tell you what. I'll read you one of the lyrics. It's the final verse from that song. The lyrics say, and I quote, you may bury my body down by the highway side. You may bury my body down by the highway side. So my old evil spirit can get a Greyhound bus and ride. Oh, shoot. <laughs> well, would you look at the time? I got to get going. I'm going to be late. I um, I have a friend to meet at the crossroads near Spanish Fort Canyon. He said he has a proposition for me. 